Hey, good morning, church. Um, love it that we are gathered together, and um, we are slowly beginning to gather at our church facility, but it doesn't mean that because we are here in our facility, that means that this is the church. We are the church. The church is the people of God. It's whoever gathers around the name of Jesus, his death and resurrection and his ascension, we're the church. The church is a movement. It's not a static. It's not brick and mortar. Um, and, and if you were able to see this, we are in this space with 35 of your brothers and sisters here. And so it's, it is, it's kind of fun for us on staff to finally go, we are actually with the church again, like physically here, but also we know we're with you out there. So we're glad that you're joining us this morning. Um, we are honored wherever you're at. If you're with us, you know, right now live and trying to embrace the awkwardness of all the things that we have. But if you're with us, wherever you're at, and we know we got people watching from other states. Hey, if you are watching from other states, let us know. We would love to give you a little, you know, fist bump or something. Um, but we're glad that you're doing that. We, we are truly humbled and honored. We want to let you know a little bit about who we are. We're a church that strives to be simply about Jesus. And I can't think of a better time, honestly, to proclaim that message. There are so many things that are out there. Right? There's, there's so much fear and anxiety and all the things that we once put our hopes in, and, you know, from economics to relationships, all these things, that all of it's got rattled. It shows the fragility of all things. And that's why we're like, listen, it's Jesus. Jesus is everything. He's our hope. He's our anchor. And when you encounter him, I am so convinced that when you encounter him, it will literally change your life now, but not just now, also forever. And that's why our mission here at our church is to simply to help people meet know and follow Jesus. We want to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus because it's not about a program. It's not about an institution. It's about a relationship that God offers us through his son, Jesus. And so as we talk about Jesus being everything and how when you encounter him, it changes everything. We want to talk about this morning in this series, um, what's after ATX or what's after life, who you're going to meet. Last week, we talked about relationship, you know, reunions and that we're going to have these relationships that we have. They're going to continue on forever in heaven, which is awesome, which is so encouraging and full of hope. But the reality is we're going to encounter Jesus. We're going to be able to see Jesus face to face. We're going to see this man of light. We're going to see this man of love. And there's literally nothing that we can do to even think or imagine right now that will even help us to comprehend what we're going to see. And when we get little glimpses in scripture, what happens, like if you were to look at Revelation chapter one, when John, who was getting this revelation, he saw Jesus and he fell as though dead, right? Like we see this in scripture that we can't see God's face here because we're sinful and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, we're gonna see him face to face. And what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna look at some of the stories of people who had a near-death experience. And we're gonna look at some of these stories of how they encountered this, this divine being. You know, this person they would say, described as a man of white or a man of light, of just love. And it like even described him as a, a man wearing white that was holding a book of accounts. And so we wanna hear, I want you to hear some of these stories. But not only that, I want to share with you um, one really significant research that showed something about this and how people from all around the world are describing, experiencing this divine being that we know who is Jesus in the scriptures. Now, regardless if you believe in these stories, regardless if you believe near-death experiences are real or not, regardless of that, what they do is they actually are pointing to what God's been telling us all along in the scriptures. 
It's Jesus. And like we said from day one in the series, if near-death experiences happened or not, it doesn't change the fact that we have the truth right here in Scripture. But because of these things, and we know because Gallipole is coming to say like one out of 25 people have a near-death experience, we're like, what if they're actually pointing to this truth? And we believe it is. And so that's what we want to look for this morning. And so I want to encourage you, watch this video. I grew up in Council Bluffs, Iowa, in a Jewish family. My dad had a mantra. Jesus Christ is the biggest hoax ever perpetrated on mankind. Christians are idiots for having hope. Your life has less significance than the smallest speck of dust in this infinite universe. I had known from some time in that afternoon that I was dying. I never thought to pray, never thought about God. I knew that there was no life after death, and so the thought of death was just extremely terrifying because it just means end. I have an overdose. All I remember is that they're loading me up into the back of the ambulance. I thought that if I died, that was it, game over, it's done. We were in an accident where another horse ran into my horse. She reared up, flipped over backwards with me on her back, and fell across my body. As she hit my chest, I immediately left my body. I realized there was a person standing right there. And he moved forward, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and it's like, oh, Jesus, oh, hey. <laughs> it's like, how you doing? I knew that I had known him my entire life. He took my hand, and we flew. It was like we had this wave of light under our feet pushing us forward, and he was grinning from ear to ear. I saw out of the light hands and arms emerge out of this impossibly beautiful white light. I knew it was Jesus. He just gently picked me up and held me up against him real tight, up against his chest. There was a sense of peace, and I feel the presence of God. When I got on the other side of the forest, that's when I saw Jesus Christ. He was real bright, brighter than any light I've ever seen, even the sun. It was as though his hair, his eyes, his skin were all the colors simultaneously. I cried out the name of Jesus Christ the next moment. I felt his face, and the first thing I remember saying is, this is love. And I buried my face against his chest, and I put my arms around him, and he had his arms around me, and I never, ever wanted to leave. Over 60% of those who had a near-death experience They've all said similar, similar things about the one whom they've met or encountered in their experience. And they describe it as this divine being, as one who's full of light and full of love. Um, and they would assume, right, it's, it's simply safe to assume that, okay, their experience of this divine being would be based upon their religious background or their, their religious cultural upbringing, right? Like, so people who have a near-death experience in the West would more than likely be having a, a Christian or Judeo-Christian kind of concept, or those in the East would have a different kind of religious concept. But the reality is, that's not the case. Of those who had a near-death experience who encountered this divine being, they oftentimes describe this person as the same type of person. So one of the researchers, uh, researchers that I want to talk to you about, Asis and Haraldson, I, I, I know he's not watching this, but if he is, I'm sorry that I just butchered your name. But what they did is they set out to research 500 Americans 
who had a near-death experience, and then they wanted to make sure they had another 500 people in the eastern part of the world, and so they went to India and interviewed 500 Hindus who also had a near-death experience, and they made a conclusion, or they had a hypothesis that they're going to discover that their near-death experience and who this divine being they described them to be would be correlated to their uh, cultural upbringing, their religious upbringing, but that's not at all what they discovered. They were thinking that, you know, those in India would describe someone um, like Krishna or, or Shiva or something around those beings, like around that. But they never, ever once described this being whom they encountered in their near-death experience to have any, any shred or any hint of Hinduism at all. In fact, the person that they overwhelmingly say they've met was a person that was wearing white full of light, full of love. And over and over and over, they would report as this person that would be holding this book of accounts. All thousand of these near-death experiences, the 500 Americans and the 500 Hindus that they interviewed, out of all the colors that they saw, out of all of the beauty and all the wonder and all the mountains and all of the loving reunions with friends and family that they witnessed or experienced in their near-death experience, they all said, without a shadow of doubt, that nothing compared to being in God's presence. Nothing. And so it's fascinating to me that even though we, we can look around the world, people from all over the globe who have a near-death experience are reporting encountering the same person, regardless of their culture, regardless of their religious upbringing. They're reporting something that's very, very similar to what we see in scriptures. This man of love and light holding a book of accounts. Listen, there, that is, there's not even a hint of Hinduism in that person. You don't see that anywhere. In fact, if we were to look at some scriptures, in about 1500 BC, Moses wrote this about God in Exodus 34. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, in faithfulness. Okay. It's right there for you. But what they're describing here is a God of love, okay? And that's important because this is something that they overwhelmingly kept experiencing. Now, listen, out there in the world and those in our audience, we're figuring out all this tech stuff, new stuff. Thank you for your grace. But they were experiencing this God of love that we have seen, written all over the old ancient Jewish prophets would talk about this God. He's the God who's abounding in steadfast love. But not only that, we would look at Ezekiel chapter 1, 26, and we're going to see how they experience this, this God of light. It's fascinating when we start to look at this. Above the surface, Ezekiel in chapter 1, he's getting this vision of seeing God. And what you see in his vision is often very close to what people who have near-death experiences that are experiencing and encountering. Above this surface was something that looked like a throne made of blue lapis lazuli, whatever that is. And on this throne, high above, was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. From what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like a gl like gleaming amber flickering like a fire. And from his waist down, he looked like a burning flame shining with splendor. As I looked in Daniel, same account, and the same experience. Daniel was reigning. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was white as snow. 
and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment. Look at this, okay? Look at this. And court sat in judgment and the books were opened. What we see in Ezekiel and in Daniel, and as we're going to see in Daniel chapter 10, is that they're encountering this God of light. Like this light, like they're seeing things that they've never seen. It's, it's this light that Paul would say in 1 Timothy that it's this unapproachable light. It's something that they haven't seen. And these guys are trying their best to describe this in the vision. And they're like, it, it's like this. It's like fire coming from this. And it's like this wheel. They don't know what they're experiencing. But all they know is that, boy, this is a God of love and a God of light. But notice that they said that there was a book of accounts. Same experience that these 500 folks from India are encountering and describing when they encounter this. Daniel chapter 10. All right, moving on. There we go. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upaz. I'm, I'm totally botching these words. I have no idea how to pronounce them. Upaz, around his waist. His body was like barrel, barrel. His face like, see, like, what is this? We don't even know. It's so amazing. It's so out there, right? His face like the appearance of lightning. Notice this. It's like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. They've never seen this. And it's the same concept we get when NDEers are describing this, this being that they're encountering. And it's fascinating, okay? These are stories like thousands of years before Jesus even came. And we see Paul, when Paul came to know Jesus in Acts, he says that he encountered, it was like this light that he encountered on the Damascus Road, and it blinded him. But I also want you to see something in John chapter 8, how Jesus and the gospel writers describe who God is. Now, this is important, because all of the NDEs, when they experience this divine being, they talk about love and light, and out of that comes this peace that surpasses all understanding. I want to share with you a story. In John chapter 8, the religious rulers, the Pharisees, they brought, they caught this woman caught in the act of adultery. And their law would say that because they're caught, she was caught in adultery that they need to stone her. And so they dragged her to make a spectacle of her and threw her literally at the feet of Jesus and said, what do you do? Look at this. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? I mean, this is important. This is who God is. So they said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. I mean, this is... This is not only is this like a, a remarkable, ingenious statement that Jesus made to silence the crowd because he knows that they're all sinners, but this is also a statement of compassion and love. Look at what he continues to go here. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And the answer is no. 
Like this is, this is such love. This is who our God is. And these are the glimpses that these stories are portraying. But we know that God is a God of love because this is what scriptures say. And if we were to look at verse 12 of chapter uh, John 8, verse 12, look at this. Look at how Jesus describes himself. I am the light of the world. Like not only is that like this metaphorical image of like I'm revealing to you the way. Like literally we're going to see a little bit later in Revelation that he is the light. The lamb is the lamp. Like there is no need of sun because he is full of light. This is our God. And over and over and over, those who've had this encounter with the divine being of a near-death experience, this is what they describe. I want to encourage you to watch this video. This light was shining over my shoulders. I began to see a small, bright, brilliant glow that got bigger and bigger and bigger. Brighter than any light I've ever seen, even the sun. 64.6% .6 of near-death experiencers describe an unearthly, beautiful, mystical light. They feel overwhelming love. It's sort of like a million times a million of any love they ever felt on Earth. They did see the magnificence of just the light shining forth in everything, bringing life to everything. And the light was not just something you would see. This was really a light born out of love. This God of light, this God is personal. He knows them like no one has ever known them. He loves me so much. By the time I'm thinking of him loving me, it's old news because he even loves me more. Then I felt this tremendous amount of love, and I knew I was in the presence of God. The Bible describes God as love. It's one of his attributes. Now, I know, like, for me, for many years, this one was really hard for me to understand. How is God loving when these things happened in my life? How is God loving when I struggled deeply within myself to purely love other people? How is God loving when those who say they love me hurt me? It's kind of like that adage we always say, is like we hurt the ones we love the most, right? And so we have this hard time trying to understand that God is love. In fact, when I talk to people about God, this is one of the biggest objections they have. Like, how can you say that God is good? How can you say that God is loving? Like, look at the world around us. Look at all the pain. Look at all the issues. In fact, even in this season, people ask the same questions. Like, how can you say that God is loving? Look at what's happening. Look at the world. Look at the economy. Look at the, you know, coronavirus, all this kind of stuff. But what's happening out there is actually screaming proof that God is loving. And this is where our near-death experience stories will always fall short. And this is where we need to look at the story that God has revealed to us through his word. God is love. If we were to look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, especially the last part of verse 8, it says this, like, anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because love, because God is love. It's who he is. This is not a definition of God like, like God is just only love. Love is one essential attribute of who he is. Like this is important for us to understand. All that God does is loving. 
God cannot do anything that isn't loving. It means that in God, all that love is and all that love could ever be is right there in him. If we ever wanted to have a definition of love, you have to look to God because that's where love originates from. It's one of the essential attributes of his character. Everything that God does, everything that God does flows from and through his love. What does that mean? It simply means this. There is not one thing, there is not one thing that God can do that is not loving. I want you to think about that. I want you to sit on that thought for a bit. There's not one thing that God cannot do. Like everything he does has to be loving. If it's not, then he ceases to be God. This is hard for us to grasp. Because again, the pain we felt, people who say they love us have treated us selfishly maybe have used us, abused us, manipulated us. We see pain, we see all this stuff. Like, like if I, like for instance, I've, I heard this one and I even think about this. Like if my son or daughter is hurting, my instinct of love as a parent, I want to run towards them. And a lot of times people miss this. Like, well, where is God? Why isn't he doing anything? But this is the beauty of the gospel is that the story of God tells us that he did, he did everything. He came. But let's, let's talk about the fact that God is loving, God is relational, and God is personal. God in eternity past, okay? This, this is a, a hard concept to think about, but I want you to think about this. God in eternity past, before he created anything. Our God is a triune God, okay? I'm not trying to bring up the Trinity to, to like fry your heads here. I want to bring up the Trinity to describe the fact that God is relational, in God, there are three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they all exist. They all like want to glorify the other. That means like they all love and want to point and delight in the other. They want to revolve around the other person. There is this beautiful uh, mutual relationship of selfless love within the Trinity of God. And so God wanted to create not because he was missing something or that because something was lacking within the Trinity and eternity past. Love by its definition creates. That's what pure love does. It wants to create. It wants to extend out an experience. And so he wanted to reach out and share this mutual love, this mutual relationship. And so he created not just the world, the universe, but he created you and I, created in his image, which means we have this Trinitarian desire or instinct to be relational to be revolving around someone in this beautiful, selfless, mutual love. That's how it was intended to be. But our ancestors, and let's not, you know, for one moment think that we wouldn't have done what they did. We chose rather to be selfless in our love. We chose to be selfish in our love. We chose to do what we wanted to do. And this is the cause of sin. This is the cause of any pain and any, you know, all of the, the hurt that we experience in this life. It's created this breach, this alienation from God because God is too holy. He can't exist. He can't look upon our sin. But not only that, it also caused great harm relationally between each other. So because of sin, because of the fact that we chose to be selfish instead of selfless, right? I mean, like, 
come on, let's, let's just be honest for a moment, okay? I, I want us to be honest for a moment. If you don't believe me, count today, if possible, how many selfish decisions you have made. Just, just for a moment. Like, you ever, like, like I, I thought this, my wife and I have talked about this when we look at our kids. Like, growing up, like, wh- at what age does, like, the instinct to be selfish also kick in? You're, you're, you look at them, you're like, we didn't teach you that. Right? Yeah, come on. But you look at them, you're like, oh, ah, you're so pure, you're so innocent. Why are you so selfish? Mine, mine, right? It's just this instinct to everything revolves around me. So think about all the harm in all the world. The Bible tells us that we, we fight, we strive, we commit murder even because we quarrel over things that we want. Like even our best relationships we have here, I, like there's not one human who can say we love someone purely. Like we still, like even though I love my wife, I gotta be honest, I still think selfishly. Like that's, and that causes arguments or maybe in our host we call it robust conversations. But, like, just think about around the world. People are going after things that they want, they need, their ambitions. It's not God. Our selfishness does not negate the fact that God is love. It's, in fact, our selfishness that wants us to push back against the fact that God is love. We want to blame him for our wrongs. But that's not the case. God loves us. But we got to look at this in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 through 2. There's this verse here where we are taught that our sin, our sin separates us from God. I mean, look at this. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Now think about this because a lot of people are like, well, where's God if God is love? And if he is this loving being and all these kind of things that these people are describing, like where is he? Isaiah tells us his, his hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Look at verse two. But it's your iniquities. It's your selfishness. It's your sin that it's caused a separation between you and God. It's not God. You're the one who has done it. And we see over and over and over in Scripture how God, this, this being of light and love that we're going to encounter someday in heaven, regardless if you believe in Jesus or not, you're going to encounter him one way or the other. And trust me, you're going to want to encounter him the right way. And I'm going to describe that in a little bit. Like we see in Scripture over and over that he is relational. He's loved us with this everlasting compassion and love that we see in Jeremiah 31. He likens our relationship between a husband and a wife, a bride and a groom. And he even talks about the fact that our sin, like we are the ones who have committed adultery. Like that's us. We were the ones who committed infidelity. We were the ones who cheated on God. He's forever loyal. He's forever faithful. He's forever there for us. But it's our selfishness. It's our greed. In fact, this is one of the things when I was thinking about the subject, like a lot of people, when we start talking about like Jesus is everything and he's the highlight of heaven, like we know there's some people who would be like, so what? Like if you were to go, what do you hope to have in heaven? Like, come on, let's just be honest. We all have our lists. Like for me, 
I want to have an all-you-can-eat Texas barbecue buffet without gaining an ounce of weight. <laughs> Heaven. Right? We, we, can, we can create all of these things. We can, we can talk about all the things that we wish we want in heaven. And how many times do we say, man, all I want in heaven is Jesus? And a lot of people struggle with this because we don't understand God's love. This is something we say at Austin Oaks Church all the time. The problem isn't that we don't love God enough. The problem is we don't understand how much God loves us. We were the ones who caused this breach. We are the ones so what did God do to remedy this circumstance? Let's go all the way back to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4. God is love. Now we're going to see in this passage what God did. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest or made known among us that God sent his only son into the world. I mean, just let's break this down slowly. God sent his only beloved son, who he enjoys and delights in. Everything that God does, he finds joy in. Like even like, this, this is a hard thought for us. We look at Jesus coming on earth and going through everything that he had to go through, the abandonment, the pain, the suffering, the cross, right? But scripture's clear. He did it with the joy that was set before him. Like this wasn't a burden to him. It was something that they wanted to do because he loves us and he wanted to create a way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Get it. There's no other way to live. It's only through Jesus. This is what he did. This is what a God of love would do. Sacrifice his own son for you when you could care less about him. When you want God to revolve around you, when you want the world to revolve around you, God said, listen, I'm still going to honor that. I'm still going to focus my heart and my desire and my attention on you. And I'm going to send my son to die so that when you receive this gift of life, you could live. In this is love. In this is love. If you want to know what love is, listen. If you are a believer in Jesus, this is a beautiful reminder. But if you have never heard this, if all you think about Christianity is rules and regulations, and maybe you have never understood or experienced love, in this is love. The gospel is the purest form of God's love. Like this is it. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, to be the sacrifice for our sins. Our sins caused a chasm forever. It caused this debt that we can never pay. It doesn't matter how good you are. Your best deeds are tainted. You can't be religious enough. You can't be good enough ever. We need him. We can't, we can't pay off this debt. He paid it off. You know how he did that? With his blood. Shed on the cross for our sins. Why did he do that? Because God loves you. He loves you so much more than you could ever imagine. There's no ill motive in him. He's not trying to manipulate you. He's not doing a bait and switch on you. He loves you. He's not expecting anything in return. He knows that not everyone's going to receive this. That's a risk. That's sacrifice. That's love. And he's never going to force you to choose this. 
It's a gift of God. It's a gift of grace that he goes, it's here. Receive it. Listen, you can't, you can't make people love you. You can't force relationships. It's a give and take of free choice. But God initiated, God made a way, God did it all. He's the one that came. And God promised to all of us is that if we seek him with our whole heart, we will find him. If we receive this gift of grace through faith, in other words, simply saying, I believe that God loves me. I believe that God sent his son for me. I believe that his shed blood and his broken body paid the price of the debt that I caused and that he conquered death in the grave in three days, resurrected again so that I could have a new life and be a new creation. That's faith. Believing that and receiving that. And in that moment, I'm telling you, in that moment right now, if you decide to receive that gift of grace right now, your life will forever be changed. But not only that, as we are talking about in this message about, you know, being with Jesus forever, listen, you're not going to want to miss this. You're just not. We get to see him face to face. And here's the beautiful thing. On this side of eternity, no one can see God's face. God's face. You see his face, you die. But in heaven, we get to see him face to face. Let's look at the last two chapters of the Bible and how this describes God. Revelation 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. Now, I love this because back in Israel, the temple was where God's presence dwelt and there was separation between God and man. And the only person who really could go into the Holy of Holies where God's presence was, was the high priest. And he could only do it once a year. And it was so dangerous to go in there. Like they had like this string and bells on it in case he were to die. And they would just drag him out. But now in heaven, there is no temple. In other words, there is no separation. Everybody's going to be in the presence of God all the time. Every single one of us. Look at this. Verse 22. And, I, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb. The lamb is Jesus who was slain for us. By its light, the nations will walk. The world we will walk in the light of Christ and the kings of this earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring it to the glory and the honor of the nations by nothing unclean will ever enter nor anyone who does what is testable or false. I love this. There will not even be the slightest hint of stain of sin there. Pure perfection. I can't comprehend this. But though only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Again, I want you to notice the word book, the book of accounts. And we're going to talk about that next week. 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on the other side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will, like, come on. Come on. Like, this, this, this is good. Okay, like, 
get that, like, wake up or something. Okay? No longer will there be anything accursed. Imagine watching... Okay, you can just hang with me here, okay? This just came in my head. I don't know if this is going to make sense, but I'm going to go for it. Imagine, like, there's no media in heaven, but imagine if there was. There is no falsehood in media. That's not a political statement, by the way. Just, just saying, like, there's going to be no falsehood, no selfish motives, no propaganda, no sin, no destruction. That's all gone. That's all done with. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. Praise the Lord, there's only one ruler. You know why we're in the mess that we're in? It's because we all want to have and set up our own thrones. We all want to be ruler of something. But in heaven, there's only one. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. Like, like think about this. If you receive Jesus' gift of life, you're going to see his face, face to face. And I know this sounds weird, and his name will be on their foreheads. This is, this is going back to the Old Testament. The high priest would have a, a metal plaque that was on their, the turban or whatever they wore on the head, and it said in there, it's like, this belongs to the Lord. That meant like this guy, the high priest, was a treasured possession. He was able to go into the presence of God. This is the illusion here. And his name will be on their foreheads, which means we are going to be God's treasured possession to forever be in the presence of God, to look at our Lord and Savior face to face. Like this is the last thing we're reading. Like, and night will be no more. There will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light. This is so beautiful. You were created to be in this relationship with Jesus, with God. You were created to revolve around him. We were created to be in this this selfless, Love, living the, in, in this harmony of oneness. But we chose to have things revolve around us. And that's sin. We became God. And because of that, we have been forever separated from God. And because of that, we have a hard time understanding the love of God. But listen, this is love. This is love. Now I want to show you this video of this guy. And I want you to notice his emotions as he describes meeting Jesus. Lying in bed one night, I had some pain in my calf. The next morning, I went in to see the physician and immediately ended up in the emergency room. The ultrasound showed five blood clots. Some of them were occluding my pulmonary artery. And once there's full occlusion of the pulmonary artery, in a matter of seconds, the person can die. The physician came in to extract some blood for a blood sample. My body started convulsing. And so it was at that point where I, uh, things went dark. I could 
faintly see my body as I was rising. It was literally rising. And at that point, there was peace. But there was a darkness in the midst of where I was that was illuminated by a light that was ushered from above. And it was cascading down. And as I was rising, I, I cried out the name of Jesus Christ. The next moment, everything was illuminated. I felt his face and his arm was around me. And the first thing I remember saying is, this is love. And he continued to walk with me. And he said, I'm going to send you back. I'm going to return you. And your purpose will be revealed one moment at a time. Because if I were to reveal your purpose in full, you would not be dependent upon me. You would be dependent upon yourself. I wanted so much to stay, but I heard this beautiful music, and then I woke up. If you honestly have a hard time thinking of God as everything, as the highlight of heaven, listen, you're not alone. We all struggle with finding pleasure in things other than God. And that's why it's hard to imagine God being all that there, like God being enough, being the highlight of heaven, is because if we were to be honest, he's not the highlight of our lives right now. Even though we desire him to be, and some of you have never even thought about that. I mean, for those who are in a church, like the thought of being in an hour-long service, which I know some of you are thinking right now, you're like, boy, eternity? Don't laugh. But the God who made you knows all of this. He knows your struggle with sin, and he can and will cleanse you of it if you repent and seek his help. And considering that God is perfect and that God is infinite, even though it's hard for us to imagine, being in God's presence, worshiping him forever will be the most delightful and soul-satisfying thing we will ever experience. When you see his face, you will truly see everything like it's been the first time ever seeing it. Heaven is only heaven because Jesus is there. John 17, 3 says this. This is eternal life, that they would know you. And that can start now. And you, This is the only way to be able to enjoy his presence, to see him face to face. Now, before we have communion, I want you to think about when Jesus was on the cross. As he was on the cross, there were two other people, one to his right and one to his left. You probably just saw that I was thinking through which one's my right and left. One of the thieves on the cross wanted Jesus to revolve around him. If you are the Messiah, if you are the Son of God, save us all, come on. And Jesus knew that if he would have done that, he would have done a selfish act. He wouldn't have been doing what God asked him to do. And then there's the other thief who came in just brokenness and humility and just cried out. And I love what Jesus said. Today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Listen, if you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, cry out to him. Receive the gift of life that he's given you 
this grace that he's given you. Receive it by faith. In this very moment, when you receive it, you confess your sins. Literally, that moment, you, you are forever with him in eternity. Forever. It'll never go away. You'll never leave his presence ever again. So I want to encourage you wherever you're at to grab your communion elements. And we're going to partake communion. You're the lucky few that gets to do that. Our studio audience um, doesn't. But they will at home. We instructed them. So I want to grab, encourage you to grab it. And I want to encourage those of you here just to be in prayer and be thinking about this as you normally would, you know, during communion. And I want you to reflect on the love of God. And I want you to reflect on this, knowing that he saved us from this world, this temporal place, this place of brokenness, and that at some point he's going to come and he's going to make all things new. Heaven and earth. And then it's eternity. Eternity with the one who is full of light, full of love. We get to be forever with him because of his sacrifice. And that's what communion celebrates. I'm going to read for us what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it. Which is a symbol of his body that was broken on the cross. He said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This was the price that Jesus paid in order for you to have a restored relationship with God. So wherever you're at, I want to encourage you, partake now. Jesus, we thank you that in this is love. That not only do we get this glimpse now and we, as we see in Scripture that we see as like in a mirror dimly. There's going to come a time when we will know fully. And Lord, I can't wait for that time. But Lord, while we are here on this earth, Lord, I pray that we would rejoice in this love that you have extended to us. Lord, I pray that we would be mo um, motivated to share your love with other people who don't understand because we know, because Scripture tells us that at some point, every knee will bow, every voice, everybody will recognize you. And Lord, we pray that their names will be written in the book of life. So Lord, we thank you. We are honored and humbled. And Lord, would we um, be people who revolve around your love instead of trying to live selfishly and, and trying to get everything that we want. But Lord, would we be our highest pursuit to be after you? And Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters too, who maybe this time, wherever they're at, they said yes to Jesus for the first time. Lord, I pray that you would minister to their hearts, 
that you would hear them and that you would cleanse them of their sin, that you would forgive them and place your spirit inside of them, that they would become this new creation and live for you. And if, if you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, listen, someone on our Facebook comments will either on our staff will put down their email or you can email me, brandon.ziski at Austin Oaks Church. We will love to give you resources. We would love to come alongside of you to encourage you how to take your next step, how to get connected in a community even in this time. So we love you, church. Blessings on your Sunday. Please don't go anywhere because we're going to celebrate this time in worship and then the long-awaited children's video is coming. Blessings.